Fixate on Code, episode 16. All right, Larry Boerter here, and you are listening to Fixate on Code, the weekly bite-sized podcast where I talk to the best devs about their favorite strategies for writing great code. Now, let's chat with today's featured guest, Kent C. Dodds. Kent, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you inviting me on. (laughs) Awesome. Kent is a one-man JavaScript task force. While working at PayPal, Kent creates a lot of open source projects like Downshift and Glamorous and makes contributions to Webpack, Babel, and React.js to name just a few. In addition to his open source work, Kent created the Angular Air and JavaScript Air podcasts, runs a short podcast called Three Minutes with Kent, and writes about JavaScript on a weekly basis on his blog and newsletter. Kent is an instructor on both Egghead IO and Frontend Masters, is a Google developer expert, and represents PayPal on the TC39, which is the ECMAScript committee that maintains the JavaScript language standard. Wow. Okay, Kent, can you fill in some of the gaps in that intro and tell me a little bit about what you get up to when you are not writing code? Yeah, hey, thanks, Larry. Um, So I... Uh, not really included in that intro is uh, the fact I'm also a, a husband and a father. So I, I live here in Utah in the United States with my wife and my four kids. We just had our fourth baby in September. So I, I PayPal has been awesome and letting me work from home. So instead of being interrupted by coworkers about the football game I don't care about, um, I'm interrupted by my <laughs> children about the picture that they drew or whatever. And I, I prefer that. So um, that's yeah, that, I'm pretty happy with the with the opportunity to work from home and be with my family. Now, Kent, what are you most passionate about as a developer? Uh, so that's that's kind of a hard question to answer. Um, I I would say though accessibility, but not in terms of like um, making the web accessible, which I am passionate about. I think that's really important. But I think what I'm most passionate about is making um, creating software accessible to people. Uh, so making it easy for people to, or, or at least making a path for people to learn um, how to code and how to create uh, with the computer um, in the way that they, you know, that, that resonates well with them. So I, I spend a lot of time um, blogging or writing my newsletter or, um, or creating little example repos on GitHub or something just, just to make it easier for people to uh, learn the things that they need to to enable them to do uh, their job more effectively. And I also have a, a, a YouTube channel that I just post like tons and uh, tons of like practice workshops and, and recordings of my talks and things uh, like all totally free just so like so that's accessible to people because there are people in the world who maybe don't have an employer who will pay $100 a month for them to have a subscription to some service. So um, I try to Use the um, you know the paid opportunities that I have to fund the you know free stuff that I, I try to give out to people. Yeah, in the developing world, I think people often forget that simple access to a, to a reliable internet connection is 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 a major is a major blocker for them. Mm-hmm. So that's that's awesome that you can contribute in such a way with the access that you have to the tools you have. And and again, on top of that, if you take a look at your your GitHub profile and your collaboration section, it looks like you got a fresh green pasture there. I don't think I've seen such a highly collaborated GitHub profile in my life. Oh well, <laughs> thank you for that. I guess um, I I could point you to a couple profiles that are way more um, 
agreeing than mine, but uh, I, I do like open source a lot. <laughs> All right, Kit. Now, what were the steps that got you to where you are today? Um, so I, like, this could be a really long story. I'll, I'll try to make it brief. But um, when I was growing up, um, I had a friend who was into coding. And uh, I remember sitting there at the computer and he was trying to explain to me what primitive types were, like strings and numbers and things. And I totally understood what a um, what a number was, like that made sense to me. <laughs> and then he explained a Boolean and I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then he tried to explain a string to me and that's where I, he totally lost me. I was so, <laughs> so lost. And, and so I was like, okay, I guess this is the thing my friend likes to do and that's not really for me. Um, but then when I got to school, I um, I decided to go into electrical engineering because that's what my brother did, and he like got to choose what he did. And I like computers, and and uh, so I I was um, you know excited about that. But I had to take two programming classes, and I actually did really well in them. And I even tutored people um, in my in my class. But I like after those two classes of spending like almost eight hours um, a week working on homework and stuff, uh, just in front of the computer programming. I was like, there's no way I could spend eight hours a day writing code. That's just like nonsense. So I, I never really expected that I would be a coder. Um, but then I, I went on a mission for my church for two years. And, and when I got back, um, got back into things, I found out I was really bad at math. And so that didn't <laughs> work very well with the electrical engineering thing. Um, I bounced around a little bit and landed in information systems. And I had to take a programming class and I was like, oh, great, programming again. Um, but uh, at the same time I was taking this Java class, I also got this internship um, at a nonprofit where I had to do like this monkey work task. And I was taking this programming class, I was doing this monkey work and I was like, I'm pretty sure I could automate this monkey work to, um, you know, so I don't have to do that. I could do something more interesting um, by writing the automation and, and get this thing done faster. And so that's what I did, and and they were super happy with me. Like I presented to the board of um, of this nonprofit just because like they were so happy uh, how much work I was getting done, which was pretty exciting for me. Uh, and that's when I started to realize, okay, so you know, programming isn't just about writing a linked list and you know trying to figure out how to exit Vim. But it's actually solving real problems. Um, and so I, I ended up changing jobs a couple of times. I, I still wasn't totally sold on me being a programmer. But my next job, I, I just like I found opportunities to automate some other uh, things that we were doing. And, and so I eventually realized, OK, no, programming is the thing I want to do. And, and so I, I switched um, my focus to programming. Um, and that was in 2012 is when I started doing like actual programming. Um, and that's when I started JavaScript. Um, so then I started getting into uh, speaking at meetups and stuff. The first meetup I went to, I was speaking about a library that I wrote. Um, and that was an awesome experience. And then I, I proposed to speak at conferences and things. And eventually, um, I was invited to uh, start contributing on to Egghead.io. Um, and that was when things really changed for me, um, was when people started seeing me as somebody who could contribute um, knowledge and information to other people. And, and I got invited to speak at more conferences and give workshops and front-end masters and other, other venues. Um, so yeah, I, I think like the, the overarching theme here, though, is um, my learning process of uh, consuming information, figuring out what's out there. 
and then deciding which of those things apply to the thing that you want to build. And then in that whole process of that consuming and and building, you're going to learn a lot of things. And so you start teaching it. And so consume, build and teach, I think, is kind of the overarching idea of, of how I got to where I am today. You've, you've got a lot on your plate, Kent. You're doing podcasts, you're doing tutorials, you're, you're working at PayPal, you've worked at other companies before. Can you tell me about the worst experience you've ever had on a project? Um, yeah, this is a pretty hard one. I, I've been really um, fortunate and, and privileged to work on some really awesome projects. Um, but I, I do remember on my first job, um, I'll actually tell you two stories because they're kind of short. Um, my first job, I one time was given a bug that was a cross-site scripting bug in the in the chat section of our app. And at that company, we we used our, you know, like everybody in the company used the product um, all the time and they used the chat feature and stuff. Uh, and so the it was a cross-site scripting bug. So you could um, inject some potentially malicious code just by adding a, a comment to the chat. And this was a company-wide chat. So I um, you know, the first thing that you do when you get a bug is try to reproduce it. Well, I reproduced it on our production version of the app. And so everybody in the entire company on every page that they went to would get a pop-up that said, <laughs> you've been hacked. Um, <laughs> so that was terribly embarrassing. And then um, at the time, we didn't have the the feature implemented where you could delete a comment. So I had to go find somebody who had database access to go delete that comment for me. That is the greatest. Uh, that was awful. Uh, but uh, it, it was like, you know, you, you shrug that off. So the the next thing I wanted to mention was um, I spent two weeks at that company trying to add a single checkbox to a, um, a part of our, our UI. Um, and it was just a total nightmare because of the, the way that the, the code was implemented. It was like six layers of, of inheritance. And, and this is all in JavaScript. This was using backbone um, and extending views and stuff. And it was just such a nightmare trying to connect the view to the model. And uh, that's, I think, one of the stories that kind of motivates me to have a good test suite because it was totally not tested at all. Um, and, and to try to, I don't know, like think in a component-based model uh, rather than just a throw stuff together model, I guess. Um, so yeah, two weeks adding a single checkbox, it was a total nightmare and I never <laughs> want to deal with that again. How do, you, how do you explain something like that to a senior or just to anyone who's, who's waiting for the feature to be released? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just like, well, I'm, you know, every single day in stand-up, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm still working on that checkbox. <laughs> it was it was awful. I I had to keep up, uh, like explaining that the code was really hard, and I was like, I, I don't know. It was that's part of what made it so bad was was um, in that particular situation, management wasn't very understanding. They were really unhappy with things, uh, but luckily, other developers um, were uh, totally understanding. They knew how bad that that part of the code base was, and so they kind of backed me up a little bit. Okay, so so that that basically came down to uh, a lack of a test suite, and and that would likely have been eliminated. I mean, we're 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 years ahead, or or possibly I don't know what you'd call it in the speed at which JavaScript moves, decades ahead of of the thinking back then in terms of componentized mm-hmm. interfaces. But um, but a test suite would have been able to solve that problem and and allow you to get on with other. I, I can't really say real work, but uh, more tangible work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it it was the the test suite would have made my workflow faster. So it wouldn't have made the task any more like easy or simple. Like the code base was still really complicated. A test suite's not going to magically make the code base um less complex, mm-hmm. but um it would have made the workflow faster. As it was, I had to, you know, make my change, then refresh the page, then navigate through this workflow to get to that uh that part of the code base. And and normally in that kind of situation like um, you know, hot reloading would help or something, but mm-hmm. hot reloading wasn't a thing back back then. And so another thing you could do is like extract it into its own small version of the app or something. But this was so tangled into everything else that it was impossible to do that as well. So my workflow was just so slow um, that maybe yeah, like if I had thought better of it back then, if I'd known um, how helpful tests were, then I probably would have tried to write a test for it first just to speed up my workflow. Yeah, and, and, and we've got all these tools that I think we take we take for granted now with with hot module reloading and mm-hmm. and live reloads and all these things that have revolutionized our workflow. So, uh, but I suppose back then you just had to deal with it. And, and, and the same goes for today. I mean, there's things that we're likely dealing with that we just take for granted as normal workflows. And imagine in five years from now, we'll be working at, I don't know, the, the speed of light probably because it just seems to be increasing at a, at an incredible pace. Yeah. Now, in terms of getting quality work done on a daily basis, which method or tool are you using that you'd hate to be without? Um, so I, I looked at this question, I thought a lot about it and, um, there are a lot of tools that I, you know, I would not be happy to lose, but I could live without. Um, but I think the one thing that's probably not exactly what you're looking for, but one thing I, I would have a really hard time living without is open source. Um, I like, I get so much value out of being able to use other people's code and I, and I also get so much joy and excitement out of being able to contribute my code to the open source community. Mm. And so if, if, if we didn't have open source and we could only use um, source code that we purchased or that, um, that we built ourselves, then I would not be nearly as happy or fulfilled as a developer. Um, being able to contribute back to the community uh, brings me a, a lot of joy. Um, and then also being able to to use the stuff that other people have created, like I, I don't think I could come up with React by myself, <laughs> for example. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I think I, I would really hate to be without open source. So, where in your daily work do you still meet frustration? Where do you feel there's room for things to be done in a more effective way? Uh, so at PayPal, one of my biggest frustrations is deploying applications. You know, like small small companies with smaller apps and things, I, I think have figured out a really uh, awesome tools to deploy applications. Like you, you can use a, a lot of other tools um, that are like you know off the shelf and and they just do amazing things. Like me think of Now.sh or Netlify or. Lots of these really amazing tools. And then you combine those with GitHub and, and magic happens. But at huge companies um, that often, like they've been around for a while and they still have like architecture that they, they've built and, and it's just really, really difficult to, to kind of upgrade that architecture to the new world of uh, these other tools. Um, it, it just like deploying applications can be such a pain. Um, so I think that's that's definitely one of my biggest frustrations. 
I suppose it's one of the it's one of the compromises of working at a at an awesome company like PayPal. They've they've been around for so long that you've got a ton of legacy code and and code that may not make business sense to to fix at that stage. And then mm-hmm. I suppose that's just up to you to deal with. Yep, exactly. Like it, it's not that um, they're not aware that these are problems, uh, and they are. And I'm um, working on a team where we're we're trying to to help with this situation, but. Um, it's just a matter of priorities and, and, you know, the thing that the developers are using is not an awesome experience, but it works. And so like, let's make the thing that our users are using a more awesome experience. Let's focus our priorities on that. And I don't blame them for that. Um, but it is a, a big frustration. Yeah, definitely. I can imagine. Now, Kent, you've got a ton of projects going on. Your your GitHub profile has got a lot of projects that you're contributing to and a lot of your own projects. In terms of new projects, libraries, and frameworks, what are you most excited about at the moment? Um, so uh, I, I use React like all the time, and I still am excited about it. Um, like I... I it's it's just such a, a wonderful framework, a, a thrill to work with. So yeah, I definitely I'm super excited about React. And and just to plug my own thing, um, I just released two courses on Egghead.io. One of them is totally free. Uh, the the free one is the Beginner's Guide to React uh, that I, I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback about. So if anybody's interested in learning React and finding out what's so wonderful about it, um, they can they can look at that. But also I think that. When I finally do decide to to branch out to another language, which I'm hoping to do in the next couple of months, um, I'm excited about Reason ML. Um, that's a language that has come out of Facebook, um, and it has just like a JavaScript-like um, syntax, um, but it's a totally functional language. And so, um, it, it, I've used it a little bit, and it and it's fully typed, but it has like really great type inference too, and um, just seems like a really cool language. So that's something I'm, I'm excited about trying. Um, and then uh, like two projects that I've been working on myself that I'm pretty excited about as well is um, something that I built for PayPal called Downshift, which is a like autocomplete or, or a dropdown component. It's, it's a way to build those kinds of experiences uh, for, for users. And, and it just encapsulates a whole bunch of really neat and exciting patterns um, that uh, I, I think are uh, one of the things that makes React so great. Um, and then also, I, I'm really big into uh, the Babel transpiler. Um, I think it's it's super awesome what you can do with, with custom plugins. And I made a plugin called Babel Plugin Macros that allows you to uh, write plugins more easily and, and also create uh, transforms that you don't have to configure at all, so you can actually import the transform into your source code, and then the transform will apply to that source code. It's pretty cool, and, and it's something that I, I think we're only scratching the surface of, um, so I'm looking forward to, to seeing more uh, action around that, too. Wow, that's awesome. And, uh, the transforms and plugins that Babel has introduced to us uh, are mind-blowing, and that's super exciting that we're, that we're only touching the... Uh, what scratching the surface of the barrel? What would you touch? I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. go there. Anyways, <laughs> um, so with I mean you, you're going to be looking at Reason ML soon, and there's always tons of new libraries coming out. How do you decide on what you want to learn, and when do you make time to learn new things? Uh, that's such a good question. Um, I I think like anybody who just looks from the outside in to the 
um, you know, the the world of software could get so easily overwhelmed um, by the the amount of stuff that you could learn. Um, and so I actually really like this blog post by uh, Dave Geddes. Uh, he's Getsky on Twitter. Um, it's called What Not to Learn. Um, and so what he does, um, and I, I suggest to people, is you map out all of the things that you could learn uh, and like tie them to subjects or, or like topics that, that you're interested in. But then I'll, I'll just read it, what he says. So then I simply pick the ones that I'm truly interested in right now and cross everything else out. Things I already know, but don't plan on investing any more learning are the things that get crossed out and things I know well enough, but that keep on giving the more you put into mastering them, like Git, make the cut. And then things that you're like actually interested in learning you know nothing about, then you have to kind of pick and choose. But I, I think that just that process of making the mental decision that, yes, I'm going to learn this and no, I'm not going to learn that. Um, really helps deal with the overwhelming feeling that you have when you're looking at the software world. And so like I, I did this with, um, with Elm. Um, I, I think it's an awesome language and, and it looks really cool, but I decided there's just so much uh, that I need to learn. I'm just not going to learn it. Um, so yeah, lots of things are kind of like that. That's a really awesome technique. Mm-hmm. Taking the viewpoints of well, what what is actually beneficial to me and what is not, and and being systematic about it. Yeah, Kent, which specific aspects about programming has dramatically changed the way that you think about and write code? Um, I think that once I uh, started to learn to not care about how fast my code runs, um, things started to really open up to me, like. I, I think this is really common for new programmers, or at least I, I like to think that because um, I had that problem. <laughs> but um, I, I think that we just feel like, okay, I want this code to be as fast as possible. So I'm going to write it in the most confusing way. Um, <laughs> you know, you're not thinking about making it confusing, but when you, um, when you prematurely optimize your code for speed, you are de-optimizing it for readability. And so mm. um, it, it just really slows you down. When you're spending like two hours trying to make this block of code fast, when that actually doesn't need to be fast at all, it's called like twice in your application's lifetime. So who cares how fast it is? Um, and or or even if it's called a, a thousand times, like um, you know, if, if it's not really hot code and like rapid succession of, of stuff, then I don't think that it, it's necessary to, to optimize that at all. Um, and so. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you need to measure everything, but most of the time you don't need to optimize code for speed. So what we need to optimize code for is readability and maintainability. Um, and so that's like, I, I think functional programming kind of comes into this too, where, you know, the in JavaScript, if you're using functional programming, it's not going to be the fastest implementation. It's just not, um, well, not normally. And so like you are sacrificing some performance to do functional programming, but it just it has made my code much easier for me to come back to in a month or two um, and understand what's going on. So I think functional programming and avoiding premature optimization. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen the argument against functional programming for the exact same reason. People complain that it's not fast enough, but I suppose the speed gains you may get in other areas when you come back in a few months, you're losing that speed in terms of your own time, anyways. Yeah, exactly. So with that, we've come to the end of our first segment. 
Kent, I'm about to throw some quick fire questions your way. Let's do this. Okay. What is the best advice about programming you have ever received? So Kyle Simpson actually spoke about what we were just talking about. Um, he gave a talk called The Economy of Keystrokes, and it's super good. Um, it's basically like what really matters is how well your code communicates to people who are going to maintain or come back and read it later. That includes yourself. <laughs> Which personal habits do you attribute to writing better code? Uh, doing it a lot, <laughs> uh, spending a ton of time coding. Also, really important is living uh, healthily, so a good work-life balance. You know, have meaningful relationships with people, get good sleep, and eat well. And it's so easy for us to get stuck into the code and forget that uh, there's there's a whole life out there outside of outside of our mm. keyboards. If you could recommend one book on programming, what would it be and why? Um, good question. I don't actually read books about programming very much. It's been quite a while, but um, one book that I think has helped me is a book called Start with Why. Um, it is so good, and it it helps me when I'm trying to. Like communicate this stuff that I'm working on with with people to explain like why they should even care and get them motivated to learn more about the project or or whatever it is I'm working on. So start with why. Who in the front end world is doing work that's really inspiring? Uh, Sarah Drasner is super inspiring to me. Uh, she just builds a ton of awesome stuff, and it's just like, yeah, well, here it is, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. Um, so and she just has so much tenacity like so many people come to her and just throw trash in her direction and she just takes it with stride and and uh just keeps building super cool things so uh, i think she's awesome uh, another person i want to mention is uh nitin tilswani um i just met him uh in, through open source stuff a couple months ago and he's just like been building the coolest stuff he uh and i don't think he's actually graduated from school yet but Wow. He made this thing called Redox, uh, which is um, like Doc DocX, like Microsoft Word DocX. And it's React that renders to Microsoft Word and Excel. Um, what? Yeah, it's totally awesome. Um, and he also made React Web AR, so uh, um, like an augmented reality renderer for React, um, which is super, super cool. And then he also created this tutorial called Making a Custom React Renderer. Um, it's, yeah, so he just is building all this amazing stuff. It's really inspiring. And he's still in school. Yeah. Wow, big things, big things coming from him. That's awesome. That's so exciting. All right, Kent, imagine you wake up and you have no recollection of ever writing code. With your knowledge of tools, books, and courses available today, how would you go about learning to program from scratch? Um, so I think that the most effective thing for me, like there, there's literally no shortcut to getting experience, um, probably in anything, but certainly in software development. And so you just have to put in the time, but you can increase the impact of your time by uh, teaching. And so I, I just come back to the whole consume, build, and teach thing. Um, you, you need to know what's out there so you consume with like newsletters and podcasts and, and keeping up to date on Twitter and things. Uh, but don't get overwhelmed. You choose the things you want to really dive deep into and, and you build something with that. So come up with an idea, like even if it's a hacker news clone or whatever, just build something. And then that process is going to teach you some things and you'll solidify those things that you've learned by uh, teaching it to other people. Um, 
So yeah, consume, build, and teach will increase the impact of the time that you spend. And Kent, let's wrap up with your top tip on how to work smart and the best way to connect with you. Um, I think just that last thing I said, um, how to work smart, just consume, build, and teach. You're, you're literally going to solidify you know, your understanding of these, these things that you're learning. And then uh, on top of that, uh, communicate and market yourself. Uh, I think that uh, like I do a lot of self-promotion. Um, and I, I like to think that it's useful because I'm telling people about things that I'm making that are really useful for them. Otherwise, I wouldn't make them. And so, um, yeah, market yourself because you could be the best programmer in the world. And if nobody knows about it, then you're not going to get the jobs that you want. You're not going to get the to work on the projects that you want to. Um, and then on top of that, I, I think more important than any of this is to be nice, uh, to be kind to other people. <laughs> I gave a talk at Forward JS a couple of years ago called uh, Zero to 60 and Software Development, um, How to Jumpstart Your Career. And it's where I, I talk about this learning process and, and um, how to increase the impact of, of your time. Um, and I, I end with it's most important to be nice because um, I you could be the best communicator and marketer and the best um, coder in the world. But if you're a total jerk, then nobody wants to work with you anyway. So making a positive difference out there and and making a real impact on people's lives. So, and then how to connect with me. I'm Kent C. Dodds everywhere, GitHub, uh, Twitter. Um, My website's kentcdodds.com. My blog is blog.kentcdodds.com. Um, and then my newsletter at uh, kcd.im slash news. To everyone out there, you've been hanging with Kent C. Dodds and Larry Buerta. Head over to fixate.it where you'll find links and timestamps for everything we've been chatting about today. And of course, head over to Egghead.io and Frontend Masters to level up your JavaScript skills with Kent. And Kent, thank you for sharing your journey with Fixate on Code. Keep pushing the limits and keep pushing great. Great code. Thanks, Larry.